Welcome to Streaming Thoughts, where we stream our thoughts, movies, TV, and all things nerdy. I am Daniel. And I am Nathan. And welcome to our podcast. So Nathan, what is in the news docket this week? Oh, something, actually, I didn't really get to it last week. Are you a fan of Saturday Night Live? I mean, I've seen some of the episodes, but I'm not like a consistent watcher of it, but yeah. Well, after they had Alec Baldwin consistently playing Donald Trump for four years, they just cannot seem to nail down a regular actor to portray Joe Biden. They you just get Stephen Colbert. He does a great impersonation of Joe Biden. <laughs> right? Yeah. Originally they had Woody and now they had Jim Carrey, but Jim Carrey has also retired from it. So yeah. check out your own Joe Biden uh, impersonation. Maybe <laughs> maybe you can get a role on Saturday Night Live. <laughs> I might be the wrong shade for that role in the wrong age. <laughs> and here's another one that I think is kind of interesting. John Malkovich taking a inspiration from 2020 is going to be starring in a film about a pandemic john malkovich in a pandemic thriller yes it takes place a year and a half after the fall of civilization from a viral outbreak a former fbi agent is forced to protect a young woman who is immune to disease from a dangerous gang hunting led by a psychopath who believes he's going to use her to save the world. Guess who gets to play the psychopath? <laughs> oh, I, I, if it's a John Malkovich movie, I have no idea. Who is it? <laughs> it's John Malkovich, of course. He's going to be awesome in that role. <laughs> oh, yeah. John Malkovich can do anything. Look, if there's an actor that has the range that John Malkovich has is it's pretty incredible when you think about it. like he can play both a hero and a villain very easily uh he has the range and i like him in pretty much everything he does yeah he's also great in comedies i mean space force was he was great in that yeah i want to see more space force with john malkovich i love that character yeah exactly <laughs> and are you have you been watching cobra kai i have not i know you've been hounding me to watch that and i know it's it's on my list and i, I really got to get down to watching it now that i have time off i have a whole week off i will make it a priority to watch that <laughs> you might have to because by the time this episode airs season three is going to be released because they moved the release date up one week. Why did they do that? I don't know. They just decided, hey, we have it already. Let's let's put it out there a week early. Weird. It's usually not that case. Things are usually delayed, not not moved up. So that's that's a good thing. So New Year show to be watching is Cobra Kai. All right. I will I will make sure to watch at least the first season. <laughs> How many episodes are in there in that show? Season one and season two both have 10 episodes for a total of 20 episodes that are out for you to catch up on in order to w watch the season three, which is probably going to be 10 episodes as well. Nice. Hour long episodes or shorter? They're fairly short. It's, it was a pretty quick uh, watch for us. Oh, nice. Then I feel better about it now. It's Netflix, so they didn't hold to a strict timetable for re per episode, but it is around 30 minutes per episode. Okay. That's not bad. Give or take five or 10. That's pretty good. I like it when shows are that short, more easily digestible. And 10 episodes really isn't that bad. Yeah. And a follow up from our previous episodes news uh, category, we had mentioned that HBO Max was on Amazon Fire Stick and disappointed that I was left out because it still was on Roku. Yeah. But one week ago, they finished their negotiations and they got that HBO Max onto the Roku. So I was able to check out Wonder Woman. Yes. And we're talking about Wonder Woman 1984, right? Correct. Wonder Woman 1984, where she gives Spider-Man a run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yes. So I have a lot of thoughts about this movie, to be honest. A lot of it, I think, revolves around the plot and the story. But I want to know what you think about Wonder Woman 1984. Let's look at how it opens up here at first. Mm -hmm. You have the only child on the mascara that is in this gladiatorial match where they have dozens of women all performing these incredible acts of athleticism, amazing feats of strength, all these things. But none of them apparently qualify to go through this gauntlet. It's only these this lineup of Amazonians. The first thing that just really got me out of my head with it is the fact that they knock a few people off the pedestals and everything as they're trying to get through the initial gauntlet, mm -hmm. dive into the ocean off the high cliff. Yep. But when they get out of the water, there's only enough horses there and targets on the little ring for the people who actually made it there. So like, did they have some sort of precognition over who would get disqualified and not be able to make it through that initial gauntlet? <laughs> Yeah, because I think there were five or six colors, if I recall correctly. Yeah. So basically, even if you made it through all of that and you weren't fast enough to grab a horse, then you're done, <laughs> basically. Yeah, so it's like, oh, that, that's your cutoff point. If you can't get through the gutlet and get a horse, you're, you're out of it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, and I want to start right, right off the bat, what tends to happen with prequels or with movies that are set place in a previous timeline versus the most current, you know, with Batman versus Superman and the Justice League that was released, which I know that a new Justice League cut is being made and it's going to be released in HBO Max. So there might be changes to the Wonder Woman. Look forward to that. We'll be right. catching up on that one. Yeah. And then we definitely will be checking that one out. Absolutely. And I know that there's going to be changes possibly to the Wonder Woman character and changes to pretty much all the characters, I imagine. But I feel like what happened in showcasing the Amazonians as being this incredibly powerful group of women who have all these amazing feats of strength and speed and agility like you were talking about. Like, I was wondering, like, okay, so where were those people when the Germans invaded, <laughs> you know, in <laughs> in the first movie, right? Well, they put up a good fight in the first movie. They didn't, uh, they didn't exactly stand around when they were fighting. They just oh, had no idea what bullets were at the moment. <laughs> then again, you know, looking back, I guess, the, the Germans kind of showed up out of nowhere. It's not like they had any time to prepare. It was more of an emergency response that they had. One of the things that this movie didn't do really well, I felt, was just the showcasing of Diana's power. I felt like in this movie, she is so much more powerful and has so much more abilities than what we saw in Batman vs. Superman and Justice League. Yeah. That's why I asked you, do you remember if Wonder Woman was able to fly in Batman vs. Superman and Justice League? Because I couldn't remember if she was able to. I actually meant to go back and double check that. I think she didn't explicitly fly, but she was definitely performing flying adjacent abilities. <laughs> so like, I want to say I remember a scene where she basically charges in a semi-flying method towards Doomsday in the Batman v Superman, but it's a little bit fuzzy. I haven't watched that one a, a whole lot. I think I've maybe seen that movie twice. Yeah, I've seen it a couple times too, yeah. And the second time was just out of, you know, I don't know, maybe I was torturing myself or something. What did you think about that though? What did you think about the inconsistencies or 
at least what I consider to be inconsistencies between the abilities of Diana in this movie versus the subsequent movies, which are supposed to take place in a much later timeline. See, I think it was interesting because it was kind of like the evolution of the character, like all at once. Mm -hmm. Because you figure when Diana first showed up as Wonder Woman, she was just a really good Amazon warrior. She had a her strength and shield and sword, which she was primarily still using, again, as you pointed out, in Justice League and Batman v Superman. Yeah. But then we have the prequel in World War One, where her sword gets broken because it wasn't actually the God Killer sword. And in this movie, she doesn't have the shield. She doesn't have a new sword. She just completely eschews it. So it's like, mm-hmm. why does she go back to that? And then in the comics, when they wanted to get her you know, more powers. She got her invisible jet. Mm-hmm. Very famous and well-known for that, so they decided they had to throw that in here. Although, that was just giving her a new power to be able to turn things invisible, because yeah. I want to say, in the comics, the invisible jet was actually an alien. Was it? I don't remember that. I remember there, there was something really weird about how she got the invisible jet and what it actually was in the comics. It was it was bonkers. But then, again, as the her history unfolded, she eventually just became more and more basically like Superman, just female Superman, because she was more popular than any of the Supergirls or that they ever brought out. So they just kind of elevated her up to the same level of power as he was. Only difference was she was born on Earth and native to Earth, just happened to be half God. Right, exactly. Yeah, to me, it was just, it just bothered me quite a bit of the inconsistencies with what was showcased in this movie versus what we saw in Batman v Superman and Justice League. What I'm hoping for is that in the Justice League movie, Zack Snyder actually gets to do a little bit more with the character of Diana than what we got in the theatrical version of Justice League and showcasing some of the powers that were shown in this movie versus what we got to see in the theatrical edition. I'm really hoping that we get to see a little bit more of this Diana that we got to see in 1984. Because don't get me wrong, I love the fact that they made her more powerful and I love the fact that they made her more capable hero. When you contrast that against Batman v Superman and Justice League, it seemed like she was way nerfed in those movies compared to this one. And so I definitely want to see a more powerful version of Diana in the new Justice League remake that is being worked on. Yeah. One of the things they did in this movie is they did take the standardized trope of we're going to slowly take away her power, make her more vulnerable in order to make her less capable to immediately solve the problem. They just want to make sure that there is that struggle. The way they engaged that struggle was to have her give up her power in order to have her boyfriend back, right? Yeah, Steve. Yeah, Steve as part of the wish. Now... Well, I get why they did that. I think they showed a much better way to limit her or to keep her more vulnerable and showcase how she is a better superhero than what we've gotten of Henry Cavill's Superman so far. Yes. Do you know which, uh, what I'm talking about? Are you talking about because he kills Zod or? No, she constantly keeps putting herself in the way or going out away from her objective in order to make sure she is always saving the innocents. Yeah, that's true. I mean, let's be honest, Batman had fair reason for hating Superman just based on the death toll alone that his fight with Zod would have racked up. Yeah, I mean, let's be real, though. That's absolutely true. I mean, there was so much destruction from that fight. (laughs) That was just absolutely insane. They leveled half a city, basically. Yeah. Right? Metropolis was 
destroyed. Buildings came down. I mean, it's terrible. Yeah, and I guess that's a really good point because in Wonder Woman, both Wonder Woman movies, you know, the level of destruction, I mean, in the, in the first one, there seemed to be a little bit more destruction on that one, but then again, it's wartime, and so it kind of makes sense for that to happen. In this one, it made a lot of sense for the fights and all that stuff to not cause any kind of severe you know, structural damage to buildings and cities and, and any of that kind of stuff. It felt a little more intimate, the fight between the villains of this story and and Wonder Woman, which I, I appreciated that because you're right. I mean, sometimes the spectacle of having this fight two superpowered people can sometimes get a little much with just the over-the-topness of it all, right? And I think that this one, they kind of rein it down a little bit more. And I think that worked to a certain degree, right, of it not being diminishing the spectacle of it all. She was still fairly strong and powerful. And if that convoy in Egypt had continued, she could have basically stopped him right then and there. Yeah. But the kids that were playing soccer in the street she saw the risk to an innocent i also really love that rpg move that steve pulled <laughs> that was really interesting yeah that was cool they need to steal that for spider-man that'd be awesome <laughs> but again they all got away and they weren't able, she wasn't able to catch back up with them because she had to stop to make sure the kids were safe she took herself out of the conflict in order to make sure an innocent was protected because that's who she is and that actually is why i think it makes her a better hero than the superman we've been getting lately that is the real weakness of these altruistic heroes the ones that are just so powerful nothing can really stop them but they will put themselves in harm before allowing an innocent to suffer and that is why what i think the superman of these current dc iterations is missing you're right no i totally agree with you on that i think that there really hasn't been a lot of opportunities to showcase that in man of steel batman v superman and and even justice league didn't really show much of that i guess it kind of did with with that um God, it's been such a long time, and I don't even know how I can remember this, but I remember this family who was near the conflict where they were fighting Steppenwolf. I think Superman, instead of grabbing a bunch of people and, and taking him out, he just lifted the whole building and took a bunch of people <laughs> <laughs> in a building. Well, that was kind of a joke. I mean, the Flash showed up to help out the one family that was trying to escape in a truck and Superman's just like oh, I'm showing you up I can take a whole building <laughs> yeah that's what it was I remember now yeah 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 but that is not the same right because it's more about just the priorities being shifted right that really hasn't been shown for the Superman character whereas in Wonder Woman has been shown of that priority shift from stopping the villain to saving the innocent yeah another thing i wanted to touch on was her relationship with steve yeah i got a i got a problem with that to be honest with you because from a narrative standpoint i didn't really like the fact that this movie was about a man at the end of the day being directed and written by women and being a in wonder woman being the feminist icon that it is i kind of had an issue with the fact that this story kind of revolved around a man i was really hoping that they would kind of move on from steve and kind of focus on other things don't get me wrong the way that they integrated the character of steve and how he weaved into the narrative and how you talked about using that as a way to deal with diana's vulnerability and executing that that was executed really well and i didn't have an issue with the execution of that i just had a problem with with a movie about being a female superhero being centered around a man which i kind of had a problem with that now i'm gonna actually take some thoughts that my wife had shared with me after watching this film 
where she actually really liked the dynamic that they had in the fact that he wasn't useless at the same time he didn't outshine her at all. It was more so she has all these strengths, but she also has some things that she can't do. She needed him to do it. So she felt that it was a much more balanced, nuanced relationship where they were more of equals, each one bringing their own skills, their own use to the conflict, to the resolution that ultimately worked out. I would agree with you on that, especially on the outshining bit of it, because Chris Pine, one of the Chris's, he's a pretty good actor. He's a good looking man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the nerdiest thing about Chris Pine that we know of mass is obviously he portrayed Captain Kirk, obviously, in new Star Trek films. In certain regards, he was kind of in it with the audience, right? Of witnessing all of these amazing feats and things that were happening. And that was really great of kind of putting the character Steve in that same level of the audience, right? And kind of being more wowed and amazed by all this stuff and not have him like you said, outshine the hero or have more presence on screen when they don't really need to have presence on screen. I kind of like the fact that they were able to use this wish-granting stone as a means of giving her a little bit of closure that she obviously never really got after he blew himself up in the blade in the first movie and was able to kind of grow and move on from some of the emotional baggage, as it were, that was holding her back. At the same time, if they make this a thing and come up with some contrived reason to bring him back in a third movie, that's just going to get annoying. It's like, you know. God, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not. I hope this is, (laughs) look, as much as I love seeing Chris Pine on screen, I really hope this is the last time I get to see him in a Wonder Woman movie. I love Chris Pine. The character of Steve is great. They have wonderful chemistry that they played off of each other with her being the fish out of water in the first movie him being the fish out of water in the second movie it was all great and everything but i gotta say i just really hope this is the last time yes now i want to hear your thoughts because in this film you could say we have two villains we have the villain played by Kristen wig who played barbara minerva And then we also have Pedro Pascal. For those of you who don't know and who thought like, hey, this guy's voice sounds familiar. Where have I heard him before? He plays the Mandalorian. So seeing him portray Maxwell Lord, I want to hear what you think about these two villains and whether or not you think that this kind of falls into our usual criticism of villains in superhero movies. The thing with Barbara, and I'll have to admit, I'm not a big uh, familiarity with Cheetah's origin story in the comics, but I wasn't really sure if it was really all that necessary for her to have that close, intimate connection with Wonder Woman where all these villains are setting themselves up like pieces on a chessboard being like okay wonder woman here's all the people that are going to become your villain you got to make sure you have a integral connection with each one of them before they tip their head into super villainy and it was just i mean doing it with the one yeah i can kind of see that but then kind of going on with both of them it seems a little contrived a little bit too in place i think yeah i don't know i i really liked that they had a sort of friendship you know, between the two, mainly because I like the chemistry between Kristen Wiig and Gal Gadot. I thought that those two actors had really great chemistry. And to be honest, there are a certain part of me like, oh my God, are they going to get together? That would be, that'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely got some uh, 
vibes from the two of them when they're having dinner together. I think that's the thing is, I like the chemistry between the two of them. Absolutely, yeah. And that's what kind of the problem is, like, chemistry was so there so quickly, so smoothly, like, they're going to become these great friends. And then also so quickly, that becomes the reason that she makes her wish and starts giving up her humanity is because she doesn't think she's good enough to be Diana's friend and wants to be more like her. And I just, I don't know, I just felt ultimately that was... A little bit too convenient of a circumstance. Again, I'm always a fan to save something for later. You don't have to put everything out right at this moment. Especially since, from what I've been able to gather, just look into it, Cheetah had been a reoccurring villain for Wonder Woman. And in this case, she's never going to come back again unless she can find another wishing rock or some other magical thing to transform her. And why would she now that she's got her humanity back and renounced that desire? Yeah. If they weren't going to bring back Steve to kind of build on that friendship and that chemistry between the two of them and maybe save it for another movie or have that kind of plan in place is a thing that it seems like DC is getting better at doing, but is still maybe a little bit shy or lacks on it. I think that there's a certain one-dimensionality to the character of Minerva, which I didn't really appreciate. The progression from the first version of Minerva that we got, right, that first kind of villain of her getting superpowers, that made sense to me just from her wish of it, of her wanting to be more like Diana. And it kind of made sense just from the story of her and what we've seen so far on screen, which was this person who was not looked at, ignored, oftentimes walked over. Obviously, she wanted to be more like Diana. And it made sense, that transition from the version of Minerva that we saw to the superpower version of her kicking the crap out of that that guy, right? The street molester? Yeah, the guy who was harassing her. That progression made sense to me. Where it stopped making sense was the progression from when she saved Max Lord to when she became Cheetah. That, to me, that transition, that reason behind it, that drive, that motivation, I didn't really see it. And that, I think, was part of it that kind of confused me. And it sort of was more of a, we need to build a more powerful villain to face Wonder Woman rather than it being more of a, but why though? Why does she want to be this apex predator? What does she want more? Well, at that point, she had already been getting a taste of being stronger and having more power, being a greater thing. And she had pretty much lost all of her humanity. So that was the kind of a, a showcase of her completely giving up her last of her humanity and becoming literally non-human. But the thing that was out of place for that, for me, is that kind of violated the rule because we had already seen the point where he tried to get someone to wish to get him an audience with the president. But then it's like, wait, I've already granted you a wish before. I need to go find someone else. Whilst for her, he can apparently take a wish she had already made before he was even had the power of the stone in him to begin with, was able to enhance it and bring out it even further into her wish. That part was not clear to me. I don't... Yeah, because when Minerva wished for her to be more like Diana, she was wishing that to the stone itself, right? She was holding a stone in her hand. 
when she, Max granted her the wish of becoming an apex predator, I mean, did all of it reset sort of when Max became the stone? Or does he have the ability to manipulate the wishes even after he, they've already been granted? And the powers of that also kind of didn't really make much sense, right? I think that that's another aspect or issue that I found with this movie was for the character of Maxwell Lord, of him starting to lose his health after continuously granting wishes to a lot of people it sort of seemed like at the end he was getting you know his health back and everything because that's what he wanted oh yeah because he was taking it from like oh i'm gonna take your strength i'm gonna take your vitality i'll take your life force throughout it yeah i was just confused as to why i don't know maybe he was doing that with the other people when he was doing one person at a time it just didn't seem like he was the way i see it he wished that he was the rock and he has to give up what was most precious to him which in this case was his son and you could see that as he became more and more powerful with the stone his son got pushed further and further away you know suddenly he didn't have any time for him he's like how many times do i really have to spend a weekend with this kid or whatever so it seemed more so just like a general toll of granting the wishes that was injuring him not so much a side effect of being able to grant wishes or having that power up to that point he had initially was looking for people who could give him things he went to his dad in order to make his ponzi scheme land oil rich he went to oil barons who get them to give up all of their oil to him but as he granted more wishes and became more like the stone the stone's purpose is to cause civilizations to collapse by people refusing to live the truth of who they really are well so the stone was still manifesting its purpose through him in the fact that every single time he goes to grant a wish he wants to grant more wishes to the point he's just randomly granting people wishes for just because even though he had nothing to gain from them right yeah again just the goal of max i think kind of got a little lost during the whole narrative of that i felt like with him you know granting all these wishes and with him wanting to not be a loser, wanted to be wealthy, wanted to be powerful, wanted to do all this stuff. After I feel like he got what he needed out of the out of his company with the oil and investors calling in and all of that stuff. Obviously, that progression kind of kept going, but ultimately, I felt like there was a certain point in the movie, at least my first time watching it, that I was like, okay, so what is he trying to do again? What is the oil goal? Well, that's just it. Is once he got everything he wanted, he couldn't stop because he wished to be the dreamstone and the dreamstone doesn't stop it keeps going until the civilization collapses i think at the point where he had everything he wanted he started shifting his focus and started trying to get just simply the ability to be able to grant more wishes like even the one meeting he had with the tv evangelical person his whole goal there was to take his congregation it's like maybe if i get everybody to I'll hold hands, and I hold their hands, and that will count, and I'll be able to be touching everybody and be granting everyone's wish all at once. And, you know, at that point, he's looking, how can I grant more wishes? The purpose of the stone overtook his purpose that drove him to find the stone and to make his first wish. I can see that now when you explained it. I think the first time I saw it, I think it kind of got lost, I think, in the narrative a bit of why he was doing this. I think it just wasn't shown as well the loss of control. It seemed like like this is something he wanted to do. But at the end of the day, what you're saying is, is that it's not something that Max Lord wanted to do. He was perfectly happy with just getting his oil. Because he wasn't Maxwell Lord anymore, he was the stone. I think seeing it from that lens, I think it makes more sense for him to just keep going until everyone is dead, basically, or destroyed. Yeah, exactly. And I do want to say, I 
really liked Pedro Pascal's performance here. He did not come across as the Mandalorian to me. He came across as a very believable oil tycoon, Ponzi scheme running TV personality. That's all I saw him as is Max Lord. So I thought he did a great job portraying it. For him, I felt his progression into becoming the tipping point of being a villain made a lot of sense to me. And I thought that was mostly in his excellent portrayal of this character. Absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. Pedro Pascal is an amazing actor and I can't wait to see more of his stuff and can't wait for him to come back in Mandalorian next year. It's going to be great. Now, one thing I wanted to, I was just trying to look up, I couldn't find it in the cast list. The President of the United States. This is 1984, so it should be Ronald Reagan. <laughs> it should be, right? But did that guy look like Ronald Reagan at all to you? No, not even close. I don't know if they're doing based on current history. Because, I mean, let's remember that this is DC, right? DC is the place where we have, you know, Gotham City, Metropolis. We have Star City. We have central city we have all of these other places in that exist somewhere in the united states right whereas marvel has always been you know new york they have the east coast and west coast avengers you have all of these you know more real life locations yeah so i was actually trying to look it up at looking through the castles like trying to find that particular roles like what was his cast as because like even in the oval office scene they only ever really refer to him as mr president so i'm like did they actually associate a name beyond just president of the united states for this character i don't know it is a good question i don't think he was based out of or even or anything remotely close to ronald reagan to be honest i think <laughs> they would have used a, a different actor if they wanted to do something more ronald reagan-esque because that i didn't get any any ronald reagan vibes from this president yeah now i didn't want to ask going back to maxwell lord because i didn't want to ask what did you think about the resolution that he got with his son you know kind of waking up and thinking oh yeah this is this is what i have to do do you feel like that was sort of a kind of like a deus ex machina type of thing or do you feel like there was an actual trajectory that we saw of the character of maxwell lord kind of coming to terms with him acknowledging his parental responsibilities not really because when we first meet his son before he ever made his wish it was very clear he had a lot of strong emotional connection with his son he wanted to prove himself to be a good father to his son he wanted to be successful in his son's eyes everything he was trying to do is he wanted to be a better father so the fact that losing his son was what he gave up in order to become the dreamstone and even following that through into a further trajectory when he's like granting the wishes to everybody and there were people at the door trying to break into the office to get at the sun. It was like, this was the final push. The, you're losing your son. Now you're going to permanently lose your son because you have become the embodiment of the Dreamstone fully and completely at this point. So once Wonder Woman's last of truths was wrapped around and she was showing him this truth of what was happening and he realized this is what I'm losing, him renouncing his wish in order to go back to his son, that would make sense to me. It's just he had to be given that truth again. He had to be reminded of what it was. No, you're right. I think that that sequence was played out really well in my mind. And again, it just kind of goes to show the importance of the character and the hero of Diana, right? In Man of Steel, the way that Superman defeated Zod 
was by literally snapping his neck. It was an act of violence that resolved the conflict. And here, it wasn't an act of violence that resolved the conflict, right? No. And in some ways, I think this is what makes it one of the better superheroes, is that it ultimately wasn't a big final showdown. I said it about the first Wonder Woman movie. My biggest disappointment was when she found out that World War I wasn't started by Ares, God of War. It was just started because humans suck. Humans have conflict. It doesn't need a deity to be causing it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh wait, actually, yeah, it was Ares all along that caused World War One. So now you have this big epic final battle showdown between Wonder Woman and Ares, and she has to kill Ares in order to save the day. That was my biggest complaint about it, is that wasn't needed. They didn't need Ares to show up in that movie at, at all. all. Just her belief that the only way this war could have happened is if it was Ares and finding out that, no, this is just how humans are. That's all it needed. Yeah, because otherwise, World War Two does, yeah, right? does it come back for that? <laughs> Start it over again? <laughs> and so, yeah, so that was really why this ending I liked was so much better because, yeah, she's fighting a god artifact that was created by a god of lies, but it was not solved through violence. It was solved through showing the world the truth that, yeah, sometimes things might be difficult. Sometimes it might be hard, but at least the way the world is, the truth of the world is it's still a wonderful, beautiful place to live if you let it be. And I love that ending. Yeah. I think that with Wonder Woman, what was the line? I think I think it was the truth is all there is or something like that, that Antiope said, you know, the characters play by Rum Wright. They kind of set that up right at the beginning too, right? With showing like, hey, the truth is all there is. And showing that at the beginning kind of obviously paid off that at the end, especially with Diana, you know, the beginning when, you know, little Diana wanted to win that contest and feeling like it's not fair that she didn't win. But Antiope is like, well, you didn't because you cheated. (laughs) (laughs) That lesson was essentially what carried over. And I think this is what made the resolution of this movie feel more satisfying because at the end of the day, Maxwell Lord was, to a certain degree, also a victim. Yeah, he was a victim of the stone as well. Yeah, absolutely. And not only that, but just of him not accepting the truth, right, of what he has. He always wanted more because he felt like if he had more, he would be a better father. He would be a better person. And that wasn't the case, right? He could already be a better person, a better father, and give his son what he needed, which was just time and be him being present. And I think that that was a truth that he needed to face. Now, the part of it that ultimately didn't really make sense to me in that final act was she was trying to get the lasso of truth on him. The wind kept knocking away, blowing it away. But somehow, when she was knocked back against the wall, she was able to subtly get it wrapped around him. And that part didn't really make any sense. Like, okay, so how did she get the lasso of truth around him? Yeah, that was interesting, right? I didn't really see that because she wasn't able to get to him, if I recall correctly. Right. So that was my only complaint about the end. It was, it's like, I like how it was done, but everything had been set up to say that that couldn't happen, but somehow it just did. Yeah, I think that was a little bit of, a, of an interesting 
plot hole, if you want to call it that, right? Of the lasso somehow making it to him, but she wasn't able to. Maybe there are other properties about the lasso truth that we don't know about that made it <laughs> possible for her to do that kind of stuff, right? But that was a really interesting thing about it. Now, I did want to also talk about one of the things real quick here because Hans Zimmer is the composer for this movie. You know I'm going to talk about Hans if I ever see him in one of these movies, right? My man. My man. Look, I really like this score. I thought that it was a little bit less Hans Zimmer-y than the other ones. You know, there's usually a lot of this heavy strings and heavy horns. Yeah, I mean, if you think about some of the way that it came across in the first Wonder Woman movie, it was very forward to set the tone and the action of everything going forward. And granted, the first Wonder Woman movie taking place during a war was definitely a lot more action-packed than in this one. He was a lot more restrained, a lot more mellow, it felt like. Yeah, it really was different. And that's why I think it took me by surprise to not hear the signature sound of Hans Zimmer that we typically tend to see, or tend to hear, rather, in his scores. This is a little more subdued, which I appreciated. I thought that the main theme of Wonder Woman that was played right at the beginning, that was pretty cool. I thought that was a really great, really strong way to begin the film with that soundtrack that matched perfectly what was happening on the screen of this, you know, powerhouse, right, that was Themyscira. I thought that those two went really well together. Of course, Hans Zimmer is really great at making sure that that whatever's happening on screen is greatly complemented by what's happening on the soundtrack. And so I think that he did a really good job with that. Mm-hmm. All right, Nathan. So with that, should we jump into our TLDL? Too long, didn't listen. All right. And this is a section where we give you our closing or final thoughts on the movie or TV series that we're talking about. So Nathan, Wonder Woman 1984 or WW84 TLDL. Overall, I felt it was a rather strong following and worked well to follow up with the first Wonder Woman movie. Does it lead into the Wonder Woman we knew in Justice League and Batman v Superman? I'm not really sold on that, but at the same time, I don't really care that it doesn't fit in because these are coming across as a lot better to me, and I'd be fine if they decided to rebuild the DC Extended Universe around Wonder Woman as Wonder Woman being there, for lack of better terms, their Iron Man for the MCU. But at the same time, I can see how this movie in some aspects might be better for some people, maybe not quite as good for other people. But my biggest disappointment is I wasn't able to see this on a big screen. When they're up in the invisible jet flying through the fireworks, I really wish I was in a theater seeing that. That would have been so much more impressive and so much more amazing to look at. And the home theater experience, I'm just sitting there looking at this, I'm like, eh, why are they wasting time with this? This is kind of pointless. But in a theater, I think that would have been amazing to look at. No, I totally agree with you. I think that you're right. As far as sequels are concerned, the progression and the character development and the evolution of the character of Wonder Woman in this film is definitely stronger than in the first film. I think that the trajectory that where this is going is good. I hope that it continues to evolve in the, late, in the next or in the later sequels. You know, I hope we get to at least see one more uh, movie of Wonder Woman. I think that the inconsistencies between the Wonder Woman we see here and the Wonder Woman that we see in Batman v Superman and Justice League is a little off for me. But again, there's going to be a new Justice League coming out and that may change some stuff about the character of wonder woman we'll see what happens with that right 
I love the score. I love the cinematography of this. I thought the action sequences really well done. I thought the villains, some of them were a little one-dimensional and not a whole lot of depth to them. But for the most part, I felt like the resolution of the storyline here was done really, really well. And it was very satisfactory to me of how it was handled at the end of it. And yeah, I think that you're right. I would have loved to have seen this movie in theaters. I think this movie would have been a really great experience to have seen it. I'm gonna say that once it's a little bit safer to be in theaters, I guarantee you that Warner Brothers is probably going to re-release this in theaters just so that they can get some more revenue off this too. I'm thinking it's gonna happen, so yeah. Hopefully. Or at the very least, theaters might pull it in to try and get people coming back once it's safe to do so. Yeah. Well, with that, Dan, final thought. We did not even touch on them bringing the original Wonder Woman, <laughs> Linda, Linda Carter, Carter yeah. back as a cameo role of Asteria, the golden soldier who saved all of the Amazonians many years ago. Yeah. Do you think that that was sequel baiting for her to come back as a mentor hero or as a villain for Wonder Woman 3? Ooh, man. I think that, you know, Linda Carter could definitely pull off both. I think that there is an absolute possibility for her to do both. I really want her definitely to be in the sequel. Absolutely. But hey, if you want to let us know whether or not you want to see Asteria come back as a villain or a mentor, definitely let us know by hitting us up on Facebook at Streaming Thoughts and on Twitter at Streaming Geek. This has been Nathan. And this has been Daniel. Thank Thank you for for listening. listening.